For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. And welcome to the other side of midnight. I'm Dominic Carter in for Frank Morano. We hope that you folks have had a great New Year celebration. And celebration is defined as whether or not you were alone or in a large gathering that you tuned in here at Talk Radio 77 WABC. We are one. We are a family together. In a moment, Stephanie Marcasano is going to join me, but I'm going to continue with your calls for a second. She is standing by. Happy New Year. I'm Dominic Carter filling in for Frank. Let's go to Robert in Suffolk County. Good morning, Robert. What's on your mind? Hi. Happy New Year, Dominic. Well wishes to you and your family. Thank you. Thank you. What's going on? Well, I'm going to leave New York. Okay, you're going to, Robert, I need you to elaborate. Go ahead and say what you have to say. I can't afford to stay here anymore. And there's other reasons, too. Okay, so, wait, Robert, are you telling me that you're fat? I need you to elaborate on what it is you're trying to tell me. Okay, I'm like in conversation mode with you here. <laughs> um, the migrant situation is... I feel dangerous for the country. So I want to move to a safer area. And where where are you going to? When when do you plan on leaving? As soon as I can. And when did you make this decision? Last year. Okay. Well, and you don't know where, where you're going to move to yet? Not yet. Okay. Well, I we wish you the best of luck. Robert, and we hope that uh, that everything uh, works out for you ultimately. So, folks, what we have coming up is in just a moment, we are going to be talking to Stephanie Marcasano about a very, very important issue, and it is called co-occurring disorders. Her son, Harris, a high school soccer star, uh, and his problem started as a child with an anxiety disorder, ADHD, and he started self-medicating uh, with marijuana, and and he turned to pills. And you know what, folks? Ra- rather than taking uh, another call right now, let's go ahead and bring up. Let's go ahead and bring up Mrs. Marcasano. And again, she joined me. This is a serious topic. We know that we're only an hour and ten minutes into the uh, new year, but a very very serious topic. And she is a very, very special guest. Uh, She lives in Westchester County. Again, she lost her 19-year-old son, Harris, to drugs in what is called a co-occurring disorder. We say good morning to you, Mrs. Marcasano, here as we get underway. As I often state something that I know to be a fact, because I have lived it, I have witnessed it, one person can change the world for good. 
Stephanie Marcasano is one such person. She is changing the world. Mrs. Marcasano and her family has had to live with the unimaginable. She lost her 19-year-old son, Harris. I have also often said that marijuana is a gateway drug that leads to more deadly drugs. So for those with an underlying mental health condition, and then they self-medicate with drugs and alcohol, it can prove to be deadly. That's what happened to her 19-year-old son, Harris, an accidental overdose. But Mrs. Marcasano decided to fight back. She founded the Harris Project, an organization to help people. And on this 10th anniversary of her son's death, the Harris Project has released a film, a three-minute PSA, again, on the 10th anniversary of her son's death. You will hear it in a few minutes, but Mrs. Marcusano, let me begin this way. Tell your story. Tell us your story, the story of your 19-year-old son, Harris, who died. So um, the story began at the beginning. You know, a very bright, talented young person who struggled with an anxiety disorder from the time he was three years old. We were a family that was very involved. I'm an attorney by training, former PTA president and school board member, and not one professional that we saw when Harris was young ever said, good-looking, popular, social, athletic kid like you, but so much anxiety, you better be really careful around substances. That could be a spiral you go down really quickly. He later picked up the ADHD diagnosis, went on medication for the first time, went back to playing sports in high school. Really, you know, his life had begun to get back on a really great traditional track. And then 11th grade came, stress and pressure. Am I playing soccer in college? He had been seeing a therapist who um, he stopped seeing because he was doing really well on medication. Therapist never said, you know, stay in touch. Things can happen. You might hit a bump in the road. When that 11th grade bump in the road came, ACTs, SATs, and all of that pressure, he went to a party in my town, prescription pills were available, and that's when I could say for our family the game was over. Within a year and a half before he died, he was in four substance use inpatient programs, two substance use outpatient programs, each program saying Harris has this thing called co-occurring disorders, mental health challenges, and substance misuse and addiction, and we treat it. But not one of those programs. And we apologize for the uh, the problem that we're having with the phone lines, but let me, let me try this again. We are joined now by Stephanie Marcasano. She is a mother who lives in an affluent community, a suburb of Westchester County, and she lost her 19-year-old son, Harris, to drugs in what is called a co-occurring disorder. Harris was a high school soccer star. It started as a child, his problems, with an anxiety disorder and ADHD. He self-medicated with marijuana, and it started with a pill, with pills at a party in the 11th grade. And hopefully the phone line is working now. We say good morning to you, Mrs. Marcasano. Here to you, too. So let me let me just say a few things here as we get underway. 
as I often state something that I know to be a fact, because I have lived it, I have witnessed it, one person can change the world for good. Stephanie Marcasano is one such person. She is changing the world. Mrs. Marcasano and her family has had to live with the unimaginable. She lost her 19-year-old son, Harris. I have also often said that marijuana is a gateway drug that leads to more deadly drugs. So for those with an underlying mental health condition, and then they self-medicate with drugs and alcohol, it can prove to be deadly. That's what happened to her 19-year-old son, Harris, an accidental overdose. But Mrs. Marcasano decided to fight back. She founded the Harris Project, an organization to help people. And on this 10th anniversary of her son's death, the Harris Project has released a film, a three-minute PSA, again on the 10th anniversary of her son's death. You will hear it in a few minutes, but Mrs. Marcusano, let me begin this way. Tell your story. Tell us your story, the story of your 19-year-old son, Harris, who died. So um, the story began at the beginning. You know, a very bright, talented young person who struggled with an anxiety disorder from the time he was three years old. We were a family that was very involved. I'm an attorney by training, former PTA president and school board member, and not one professional that we saw when Harris was young ever said, good-looking, popular, social, athletic kid like you, but so much anxiety, you better be really careful around substances. That could be a spiral you go down really quickly. He later picked up the ADHD diagnosis, went on medication for the first time, went back to playing sports in high school. Really, you know, his life had begun to get back on a really great traditional track. And then 11th grade came, stress and pressure. Am I playing soccer in college? He had been seeing a therapist who um, he stopped seeing because he was doing really well on medication. Therapist never said, you know, stay in touch. Things can happen. You might hit a bump in the road. When that 11th grade bump in the road came, ACTs, SATs, and all of that pressure, he went to a party in my town, prescription pills were available, and that's when I could say for our family the game was over. Within a year and a half before he died, he was in four substance use inpatient programs, two substance use outpatient programs, each program saying Harris has this thing called co-occurring disorders, mental health challenges, and substance misuse and addiction, and we treat it. But not one of those programs ever got to the mental health piece, and that's what drove each recurrence in use. So when my son died on October 23rd, 2013, and everybody wanted to know what they could do to support me, my family, my husband, my daughter, I said, I need to figure out co-occurring disorders. This is what's going to be my way to get up and get out of bed every morning, and this is the way that I'm going to save lives and improve outcomes for other young people and their families. You know, it's it's heartbreaking for me to to hear you talk. I I've been in your presence and I have to tell you that 
I was uncomfortable in your presence because uh, tragically, you're part of the club now. Uh, one of the stories that I have a very hard time covering is meeting, interviewing mothers that have had to, to bury their, ch- their child. And all of you that I have met in this situation, you know, you're strong women. You, you, you try to hold strong, but there's a look in your eye that things will, will, will never be the same. You are a fighter, Mrs. Marcusano. How could something like this happen? So, I mean, the, the situation happened because from the very beginning, from prevention, from the messaging that young people and their parents need to hear and understand, there was no such message. When it came to engaging with the system of care, with treatment, it was mental health or substance use. Do the substance use first, and then we'll get to the mental health. Or go here for your mental health and there for your substance use. So I often say that in my tragedy, I am truly like a very fortunate person because living in Westchester County, I was aligned with the Westchester County Department of Community Mental Health. The um, deputy commissioner at that time, who's now the commissioner, said, you know, this is something that we're really interested in. This is something that we've watched, and we know that the moment is now. There are collaborations with agencies and school districts and community organizations. Me, the mom, I co-chair the co-occurring system of care committee for Westchester County. I work across the mid-Hudson region on the systems piece. I'm now appointed to the opioid settlement board for New York State, where co-occurring disorders is an overarching theme with equity of across all of the recommendations that we make. And so when people think, you know, how do you get out of the bed in the morning? You know, what do you do to kind of find hope and inspiration? I will say the systems piece, the getting the right treatment out is complicated. It's slower. The prevention stuff is incredibly empowering. It's, you know, speaking to young people, watching the light bulbs go up, really getting them inspired to be change makers, to get help and support earlier, to really understand this link between why their mental health matters, when you don't take care of it, you might turn to substances to cope and manage, and how when your brain isn't fully developed and you're 25 and under, just using marijuana, alcohol, you know, the prescription medication for a sports injury, wisdom tooth removal, and then all those illicit substances, you can change your brain chemistry and develop co-occurring disorders even if you weren't on track to. So I always say knowledge is power. We can spend countless hours talking about drug trafficking, border control, fentanyl, xylazine, now nitazines, which are the newest thing. But if people, and particularly young people, understand the risks of use from the beginning, they may say no out of the gate because they understand why. And if they are using substances and they're finding themselves in trouble, they know how important it is to get the right help and support earlier. But, Mrs. Marcosano, you know, I've been to your home. I've seen uh, pictures of, uh, well, I met with you, uh, and I've seen pictures of your son in his soccer days. And this was a kid that was so strong and and a good-looking kid. I never met him, and he was he was playing high school soccer. The world was his. What in the hell happened? 
Okay, so now I want you to think about a lot of famous people who've died recently by overdose. I want you to think about articles that you've read. Matthew Perry talking about how difficult it was for him to perform in front of a live audience, the anxiety he felt if he didn't get a laugh. So looking at the exterior of a human being and thinking you know what drives them or or wishing you were them perhaps and not really understanding the internal turmoil is where we make our mistakes. Mental health disorders are not something that anybody signs up for. It's something that's how, you know, somebody's brain is wired, or it could be, you know, their experiences that they've had. There could be environmental factors. But if we say somebody who looks like this shouldn't have this going on, it would be like saying somebody who looks like this shouldn't have cancer. You know, and so I think that if we begin to unpack our own kind of biases and stigma around who it should be that's struggling, we can begin to change our ability to support and care about the human beings that are around us. I'm glad that you said that, Mrs. Marcosano, because um, I, you know I didn't know how to get into it, frankly. And we're gonna we're gonna play the PSA in, in just a couple of minutes. But your son, from a good family and affluent community. Uh, in Westchester County in New York. This is not supposed to happen to a family like yours. That's the line that people would say, Mrs. Marcusano. Well, the system of care was no better for Harris than it would be for anybody. And so, you know, from my perspective, living in Westchester County, you know, knowing, you know, you're, you, you have a national audience, but Westchester County is one of the most diverse counties in the nation. We have inner city you know, we have communities that are plagued with gang violence. We have horse country where, where you know, there are stables. We have communities that, that have some of the wealthiest zip codes in the country. When I go in and begin to talk about co-occurring disorders awareness, when I empower young people with our two-star logo to learn about what this is, it cuts across race, economics, culture, background, everything, because this is the human condition. So my goal is to change the system and make it better for everyone, no matter what your experiences are. And so that, to me, I think is the game changer, is that it's not you or me, it's all of us. Indeed. And I think that that was the goal of the PSA, was to really take a diverse group of young people to tell a narrative that reflected so many other people. You know, we spent time with focus groups, meeting with young people in Westchester County who were part of our CODA prevention movement, speaking with parents other than me who had young children, you know, people that have died. We spoke to young people who've gone through the right treatment protocol that we brought to Westchester County called Encompass, who had failed in other kinds of treatment to really understand the nuances, the subtleties, what an experience feels like when you're going through it. And on this first day of the new year, we are trying to save lives. We are talking with Stephanie Marcasano, her 19-year-old son, 19 years old, Harris, died of what is called a co-occurring disorder, the dangers and threats of self-medication with drugs and alcohol for those with underlying mental health conditions. 
So, Mrs. Marcusano, you just said, and I want to make sure that I heard you right. This kid from a, a good family, an affluent community, and he was forced he was forced to deal with rehab four different times? Yes, he was in four different rehabilitation programs, many of them rooted in kind of shame and blame and abstinence based and you know, you know, look how much money you're costing your family, can't you just say no? And always promising that they were going to address the anxiety disorder, the attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, but they never would get to it. Like he would get in trouble for not being able to sit still during a 45-minute yoga meditation. Well, if you've got an anxiety disorder and you're no longer, you know, taking substances to manage that, how could somebody expect anything else? And so you were discharging young people from programs that they needed to be in because you couldn't meet their needs. It's not the other way around. And I know that because now that we're, you know, really working on these evidence-based treatment protocols and changing the way that we approach people using motivational interviewing, really, you know, not so many groups, really individuals so that you could unpack your stuff, I know that what we went through was not right. It was not the way to approach this. But when you think about people who struggle with their mental health and struggle with substance misuse and addiction, most people blame the individual. It's their fault. They should have tried harder. They should have just said no. Why, why is this so problematic for them? Instead of looking at how we deliver care, how we welcome them into a, a, a therapist's office, a provider of care, a rehabilitation program, that we're here to help, you know, what happened to you, not, you know, why are you doing this again? And so beginning to change our perception and how we, how we deal with humans, that's what's making the big difference. In the uh, next segment, Mrs. Marcusano, we're going to play the PSA in which all the young people involved uh, with it, it's my understanding they have a coexisting disorder. No, so, not, so I just want to clarify okay. just for your audience. Okay. So the lead, the lead is in recovery and has a co-occurring disorders diagnosis. The director of the PSA, also in recovery, co-occurring disorders diagnosis. Every member of the production team has either mental health or substance use. And the, the young people who are in cared about, you know, the work, but do not necessarily have a diagnosis. Okay, all. well, you know, you know what? Rather than doing it in the next segment, let's, let's listen to the PSA right now. Uh, this is a PSA that your organization, the Harris Project, has done as it relates to coexisting disorders. Let's listen. Drink if you've stolen clothes from Lisa's closet. I like that. <laughs> Come on, I know at least one person. <laughs> Drink if you have a crush on someone that's not your boyfriend. Um, drink if you posted a photo I look trash in because you look good in it Um, drink if you have to drink to just to be here (laughs) drink if you don't know why you just said that Drink if no one likes you anyway. 
drink if you replay every conversation you had that day in your bed at night. Drink if no one understands what you're so worried about all the time. Drink if you can't go to class without it. Drink if you're pretty sure everybody hates you. Drink if you've stolen your dad's pain meds because drinking doesn't cut it. Drink if you can't escape the thoughts in your head. Drink if you're so anxious it's happening again. Drink if you don't know what you just took. Drink to feel something. To feel nothing. Drink if no one even knows. you're happy and you know happiness won't last if you're depressed if your mind is racing if you're tired if you can't focus on anything if your mind won't shut the fuck up Drink if you're afraid you won't wake up tomorrow. Drink if you don't care. Mrs. Marcusano, save save your your, your comment for just one second. Uh, that is so emotional, so touching so dead on and i just hope that every american watches that because folks listening to us from around the country this can't happen to me this would never happen to my family believe me it happened to the marcusano family it can happen to any of us we are going to take a break and on this first day of the new year again we are trying to save lives we are talking with Stephanie Marcasano. Her 19-year-old son, Harris, died of what is called a co-occurring disorder. The dangers and threats of self-medication with drugs and alcohol for those with underlying mental health conditions. The other side of midnight coming right back. With Frank Morano. It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. side of midnight a mother's pain happy new years by the way but a mother's pain burying a child 
We are talking with Stephanie Marcasano. Her 19-year-old son, Harris, died of what is called a co-occurring disorder, the dangers and threats of self-medication with drugs and alcohol for those with underlying mental health conditions. Mrs. Marcasano, uh, when I first met you, um, the power of one, you were one person fighting the good fight. Now you're national. This campaign, the Harris Project, has become national. I have seen stories on you in the New York Times. I have seen stories on you uh, uh, in terms of CBS News, different uh, networks. I want to read to you. Well, before I do that, a quote from one of the articles. I don't mean to sound uh, that I'm not sensitive to the situation, but after four stints and rehab for your son with his problem started in the 11th grade. How did you find out that your son was dead? Um, so he had um, been in a sober home and his roommate brought pills in and Harris had not taken pills in months and months. And the program director said, we can't have them stay here. We're going to put Harris. Harris was in college down in Florida in this program. We're going to put him in a motel don't fly down. He'll be fine. Either he'll just like sober up and be good or we'll put him into a detox, but you'll be fine. And we should have known that a 19-year-old out of state in a motel would reach out to people, you know, that he had met down there and some from up here and that somebody would bring him something potentially and that there could have been a high risk. But we listened to those who were the experts. We did not go down to Florida and um, a police officer in his car drove down my block as I was leaving to run an errand. And I said, you know, if he stops in front of my house, I'm in big trouble. And he did. And I was. And that was how I got the news. And so oddly coincidental, although I don't know if there are any coincidences, several years later, I was doing um, a training for the police academy in Westchester County, and that police officer was in the room. And he had wondered what, yep, and he was like, I've been watching what you're doing. I was wondering how you are. He's like, and here you are in front of me. And I knew when I was speaking, I kept looking at the corner of the room, and there he was. So did the officer ask you to come into your home, or did he tell you right there on the street? He put me on the phone with a detective in Florida, where Harris was. And what did the detective say? He told me that my child was deceased, that his clothes had been laid out on the bed because we knew that he had had a job interview scheduled for the next morning and they had looked at his computer and he looked to see how much he could safely take of the substance that killed him and you know what what your daughter this is a tough interview for me mrs marcasano your your daughter um attended the same school where I went to graduate school, Syracuse University. And your daughter, as a result of what happened to her brother, she she went into social work, correct? She went into social work. She spent a number of years doing working with student-athletes and then working for a provider, and then ultimately kind of found her way to using her soft social work skills in more of a business setting, more of, you know, HR and sales and kind of um, support. So... 
you know, everybody kind of has their journey. She's been a huge support to me with her expertise, you know, doing workshops and presentations alongside me. And it just being, you know, when we shot the PSA in California, Jensen came with me because I felt like her perspective, you know, the TikTok generation and kind of knowing, you know, what would be the right mark to hit. She was really a great presence and support for me there as well. I remember looking at a photo of you, your husband, and your daughter. And I I looked into your husband's eyes in the photo, and he was standing tall. And he he's a he's a better man than me because I I don't know if I could have survived something like this if someone called me and told me that my child uh who who fell into drug addiction and 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 a combination of issues that my child was dead. What has been the impact on you, your husband, the marriage? So my marriage is solid and and really strong. Um, I know that that. There are many situations where that's not the case. But for us, you know, he was going back to work. You know, he has a career and he was doing his thing. But he also has become an amazing mentor to a lot of young people in both his company, like at work, but also for Harris's friends, for our, you know, our extended friend group and and relatives. He's always speaking to young people, particularly young men, about, you know, choices in their career paths, about how their mental health might impact, you know, their their chosen direction, things that they can do to kind of ease some of that stress and pressure. And so he, you know, we've all come through this very much our own way, but very much united and with Harris really at the core of so much of our lives. And so... I want you to tell me, and, and sort of a recap, if you will, a co-occurring disorder in terms of how this play, played out with your 19-year-old son. He played uh, high school soccer, and you 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 believe that his actual problem, the deadly part of it, started at a party in the 11th grade? Yeah, so that was when um, that was the first time that prescription medication really entered the picture. Marijuana use had started earlier, but then he recalibrated and did well. But I will say that the brain changes caused by marijuana use, particularly for those 25 and under, is something that we're not really paying enough attention to. The number of young people, you know, with with mental health diagnoses where you know psychosis can enter into the picture and just behavioral things and changes like that's a really important thing but for for us i think we didn't know like you don't know what you don't know and so when you look at the national landscape right now almost half of our teens in the US have a mental health challenge at 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 some level 22% with severe impact when you combine that with the fact, and the one thing that you can't see, you know, listening to the PSA is the, is the super, the information at the end. One in two with a substance use issue have a mental health challenge. Let that sink in. So that means, and it's bi-directional. So if half of the people with a substance use issue are also struggling with their mental health, and when you look at of overdose, alcohol-related deaths, completed suicides, and you think about how many of those people have co-occurring disorders and they never even knew it. So 
Co-occurring disorders as a definition is the combination of one or more mental health challenges and substance misuse and addiction. When I first started, and it's very hard for the national data to really like to quantify the number because most people don't understand the linkage. So even if you're doing a survey, are you really answering it right? But when I first started, the number was floating around 10 million. There's a survey that, the, that the, they do, the National Survey for Drug Use and Health. The latest data is 19.4 million people in this country have co-occurring disorders. How many things in this country impact that many people that most people have never even heard of? And so Havas Media, um, Josh Cornrich, who's the senior producer for Havas, he lives in my community. He knew Harris. He, Josh is a couple of years older. That article came out in the New York Times. It was the cover of the Sunday Review. Josh reached out to his mom and said, can I reach out to Stephanie? And he called me and he said, I've been watching what you do. Similar to you, you know, the way you're what I've been watching what you're doing, and I wasn't sure when the right moment would be, but this New York Times piece is the moment. Can I go to the senior executives at Havas? and ask if they would do a public service campaign. I said, absolutely. And so we worked for more than 11 months on the treatment, on the concept. There was an AI thing they looked at. There were some other things, but nothing was the right time or the right moment. You don't know the half of it was the working title for this campaign because there's the part you see and the part that's hidden. And so when this concept for the party came to be and they reached out to directors who were very high-level directors, many awards won by all of them, when they spoke with Daniel Wolf, who's the director of this PSA, he said, before we even get into the creative concept, you need to know that I was Harris. I grew up in England. Wow. I began self-medicating when I was 16 years old. I have to have this. I have young children. I want to change the trajectory. I want to change the conversation. I had done a TED-like talk for the National Council for Mental Well-Being. He said, I watched that TED talk. He said, this has to be mine. And so when you think about an advertising campaign, even one that's kind of got like a, 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 no, a, like a noble purpose tied to it, there's usually like a product link, right? So there's like a connection. Here, the question was, what are we asking? What are we looking to the nation to do once they've watched this film? And it became abundantly clear that phase one was to educate the nation on co-occurring disorders, educating young people, their loved ones, schools, community organizations, the human beings that can change everything, the system of care, how we approach prevention, what kind of messaging goes out, how other people like me who've had loss like this, how they can advocate in their states and educate about this so opioid settlement dollars are used for not just you know getting the boots on the ground but actually changing what we're doing to inspire people and for those in recovery who never really understood how these were connected and some you know how many people have reached out and said it wasn't until I got mental health support that I could finally sustain my recovery I never knew I had co-occurring disorders 
thank you. Had I seen this when I was in high school, it might have made all of the difference. And now in Westchester County, where I am, so we, you know, we met because it was the first year that we were doing co-occurring disorders awareness celebrations in April, which was Harris's birthday, and I wanted something to do on his birthday. My daughter was at Syracuse in college, and I needed, like, what, what's it going to be? And we started doing a youth summit, awareness games, um, activities, announcements, social media tiles, posters, and opioid settlement dollars come in, and Westchester County put out its, um, its request for proposal, and they wanted innovative, game-changing, collaborative prevention. So now we're working with Partnership to End Addiction. We're working with three of our coalitions. We're working with the faith community through Union Baptist Church. We're working with Westchester Jewish Community Services on the treatment side. And we are creating curriculum to be delivered in schools for co-occurring disorders awareness. It's going to be three sessions for health classes, an hour in English and Spanish for parents and caregivers, an hour for school personnel, faith leaders, coaches, community organizations, and we have Pace University doing the surveying and data collection so that this can become the nation's first evidence-based prevention practice. So well, folks, you, 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 uh, let me just say this. You, you, you hear it in her voice. This, this lady is no joke. Her name is Stephanie Marcasano. And she's the leader of the Harris Project. She's a mother, Westchester County, New York, that lost her son, accidental overdose, 19-year-old son who had an anxiety disorder and ADHD, and his name, Harris, he first turned to marijuana, later to prescription medications, in an attempt to cope and manage, and for rehab, uh, stays, nothing worked, and he died at the age of uh, of uh, 19. And you know what, Mrs. Marcosano, well, I, I want you to stay with me for another a quick segment, if you can, just a few more minutes. But, but, but the New York Times story on you, right, 3 a.m. this morning, uh, I was sad doing research on you, but thinking about how strong that you are and that you're fighting for everyone. Everyone of different demographics, it doesn't matter the income, doesn't matter the race. I've seen photos with you with children. There are white children, black children, Asian children, Latino children. It doesn't matter to you. But I want, before we take this break, the New York Times article on you said, uh, as part of the article, uh, for most of his life, Harris Marcosano struggled to live inside his own skin. Is that accurate and how? 100%. Accurate because when you are popular and social and one of the funniest people, but also a really deep thinker, would watch the news, cared about world events. I mean, I often think about what he would think about the current world that we're in. It, it, the inside belied the outside. And he literally, at times, would be so anxious that he would almost feel his skin crawling. And so that is the challenge, is that you look at him, he's getting in trouble, he's loud, because he would project out what he was feeling on the inside. So it, it didn't make sense to many of the people around him. When you look at young people with behavior issues, and you think, like, why can't they just hold it together? You should be thinking about what is going on in their brains that is causing them to kind of feel that this is the only way to make it go away. 
Oh, my God. We we are talking with Stephanie Marcasano, who heads the Harris Project. Uh, I was only uh, set to do two segments, but I'm going to take a break, and I'm going to come right back for just a few more minutes with Mrs. Marcasano. Before I take the break, uh, please tell people that are interested in reaching out to you how they can reach you. Absolutely. So it is Stephanie, S-T-E-P-H-A-N-I-E, at theharrisproject.org. Our website is theharrisproject.org. You can find us at Instagram at theharrisprojectcod. Same thing on um, YouTube. Same thing on Facebook. I'm at the Harris Pro on Twitter. And we have a TikTok that is also the Harris Project COD. Okay, we are on the other side of midnight. I'm Dominic Carter in for Frank Morano. Happy New Year, everyone. We will be right back. The other side of midnight. Frank Morano. Happy New Year. Welcome back to the other side of Midnight. Dominic Carter in for Frank Morano. As I have been mentioning, we are trying to save lives on day one of 2024. We are talking with Stephanie Marcasano. Her 19-year-old son, Harris, died of what is called a co-occurring disorder. The dangers and threats of self-medication with drugs and alcohol for those with underlying mental health conditions. So, Mrs. Marcusano, I'm only going to keep you for a few minutes here. Coexisting disorders. Break it down to the degree of your son, how that existed. So, an anxiety disorder from the time he was little, picked up an ADHD um, diagnosis in eighth grade, Literally, first substance he turned to before he went on medication for his ADHD was marijuana. He thought that he was mellowing himself out. He would feel better, not realizing that he would get, at times, panic attacks. At times, he would be kind of not really in his right mind and not understanding that the cycle had to break. And so that's sort of what co-occurring disorders is, and that's how it came about for him. Then we switched therapists. He went on medication. He did really well. Anxiety comes back with a vengeance in 11th grade. His anxiety overwhelms the medication that he is on. He then goes to a party in my town. Prescription pills are available. He takes those pills, again, thinking that he will feel better. And, in fact, it led to, you know, addiction. He would take whatever medications he could get his hands on. And nowadays, the, the kinds of medications that are out there, the adulterants in the supply, the counterfeit pill supply, makes this even more dangerous. It was bad for him and for us in 2013. It is more frightening now than ever before. The fentanyl. Yes, fentanyl, xylazine, um, you know, test strips. You know, the adulterants, the new things that are coming out, it's just so if you don't get to the root causes, if you don't begin to educate and empower out of the gate, how do you expect things to get better? There's always going to be a substance of the day. There is always going to be something coming in. So the ability to stop and think about your why 
am I doing this because I think that I'm making myself feel better? Am I doing this because I was doing it just like what I think, you know, everybody does, but now I can't stop. The moments that you can change the thought process and get help and support sooner, the better off everybody will be. But then if the system is not designed to actually address co-occurring disorders, the shaming and blaming continues, or it's just substance-driven or just mental health, if it's not integrated, then you're still not getting what you need. People think you're going and getting treatment and support, but if your needs aren't being met, the likelihood that you're going to go back to using is extremely high, which is why, I guess, between the Opioid Settlement Board in New York State but now working with legislators, you know, for two years, New York State passed a single agency bill in the Senate to create a single office to unite the Office of Addiction Services and Supports and the Office of Mental Health. We're hoping this is the year that both the Senate and the Assembly pass those bills. I know there are going to be hearings about it. I know the ranking member of the Substance Use Disorder Committee in the Assembly, um, Assembly Member Keith Brown, we've done, you know, huge forums in, in Long Island with him in Nassau and Suffolk. He is a huge, huge supporter of the work. He's introducing bills to make April officially New York State's Co-Occurring Disorders Awareness Month, making April 8th Harris's birthday, and it'll be his, it would have been his 30th birthday this coming year, to make that Co-Occurring Disorders Awareness Day, to include in the health curriculum co-occurring disorders so that the words are spoken. If we begin to introduce these concepts in writing by saying co-occurring disorders, you begin to do the steps needed to bring together the systems of care. When you look at the incarcerated population, the number of people with co-occurring disorders is staggering. When you look at the number of people who walk through a mental health door and have a co-occurring substance use disorder, staggering. So you need the clinicians to be able to deliver services. You need them to not be afraid of the other. So we need the education, the quality improvement projects. So it's exhausting to talk about. And I know probably there's people in the audience thinking, what is she doing? Well, every step we do creates something else that we want to achieve. If we're doing prevention and young people are recognizing themselves in the narrative, we want to make sure that our providers can deliver the care they need. If parents are being told to write contracts and kick their kids out if they're not abstinent, we need parents to be doing programming like craft, community reinforcement and family training to learn how to stay engaged with love and to be able to create healthy and safe boundaries, but to not disengage the way we used to encourage people to. And Mrs. Moncasano, I, I do want to thank you for joining us. Uh, there's so much more to talk about. Uh, I, I am out of time. Uh, we are about to take a break on the other side of midnight. Coming up, we will switch gears and talk to Jackie Rowe Adams, a Harlem activist, about a lot of interesting issues. This is an interview that we are really, really looking forward to.